All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. <clears throat> we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and that you come and deliver that word to us. God, we pray that our hearts would be inclined to, to listen, to receive, to obey. God, I pray that you would help us to respond to you with love, with affection, with our whole lives. Help me to preach with your word and not against it. God, we pray that you'd bind us all together by the power of your Holy Spirit as you speak to us this morning. Amen. I forgot to say this at the last service, but uh, the first Sunday of every month, we, uh, we bring upper elementary kids into the service with us. That's on purpose. We, we, they're an important part of, all our kids are an important part of our family, and we're helping them, hopefully, bit by bit, get ready to be a part of this room, to be, grow up and be part of the larger community. So guys, we're glad that you're here. Um, we love it when you're with us. Um, this story is maybe one of the most famous stories of Jesus healing somebody. It's reported in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's one of the most maybe unique ways that it happens. It's um, almost comical, entertaining in what Jesus does to heal this man, how, how it happens. He's uh, been off in, in what Mark calls desolate places. He's off in the wilderness to pray for a little bit after a long, a little run of ministry. He retreats and then he comes back and he comes to Capernaum and it says that this is his home. And we, it could mean Capernaum then is his just new town. He's obviously grown up in Nazareth, but he has moved at some point to Capernaum. It, it could mean literally that this is his house. This is where he's lived in Capernaum. And uh, the people have heard all that he has done before, and they rush in to see him. Jesus is in town. Let us, let's go see him. Um, if, if you've watched that show, The Chosen... They do this scene, and it's really helpful to see what this might look like, to see a, a very small room. Houses, we live in huge houses now, even if you live in an apartment in West North Carolina. You have an enormous house, historically. 
And so you can see like this little room where he would be just talking with people and people, you know, hanging through the windows or lined up at the door. And these, these guys can't get in. This man who's paralyzed and laying on a mat is being carried by four friends. And they're, you know, they're carrying somebody. They can't get through the crowd. So they take a creative approach and they, they see that the space on the roof is not taken and they say, we'll take that space. Um, people, they have flat roofs. It's normal for people to be on the roof. It's, it's part of the way that the housing is arranged. So they, they get up there with another human being that they're carrying. And they are, they are so desperate to see Jesus, to get their friend to Jesus, that they, you know, bust in a skylight while Jesus is, is teaching. And uh, I think it's, it's important when you, when you read the Gospels that you actually um, you turn on your imagination, that you, you read imaginatively. Um, you, sometimes your imagination is, is wild. If you have kids or are around kids, you know that to be true. But you're meant to, to envision what you are being told. And if you've heard this story again and again, it just sort of becomes like, yeah, of course they, they dug a hole in the roof. But that is insane. That is crazy behavior. Imagine right now if suddenly there's a hole being punched in the ceiling and somebody is being lowered here. That would be wild. And this is, you know, this is maybe Jesus' house. Jesus is, is teaching and suddenly debris starts falling and then there's a dude just coming down. This is not, you know, Plenty of people, I don't want to name names here at Valley Hope, at the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service, show up at 9.10 or 11.10 and you sneak in the back. And that's why so many of you are sitting as far away from me as possible. And it's very subtle that you can, you can nobody will know. There's no subtlety here, right? That Everybody can see, everybody hears, the teacher stops, everybody stares up. There is no getting around what is happening in this moment. And you have to see the desperation that this is. This man, we don't know how long this man has been paralyzed. That's not, no detail like that is given to us. There's no social safety net. This man is being carried by his social safety net. His friends. He lives on the generosity of other people. And we have no idea for how long, how many weeks, months, years, this man has had to rely upon the willingness and strength of people who cared enough either in the moment or at large to to move him from place to place. We don't know how many times his clothes have been changed by somebody else because he couldn't make it to the bathroom. And this is this man's whole life. He is defined. He is the paralytic. Probably he has disappeared from the consciousness of many people. He's just basically human furniture that they walk past so they don't have to look at him and give to him. This man has no shot. There's no corrective surgery. There's no surgery. This is his whole life until either he gets old and dies or more likely he gets sick and dies. 
And suddenly he hears, he and his friends, these people that love him, hear that there is a person that is doing this wild stuff. And for the first time in who knows how long, this guy sees that there is a chance, there is a possibility that he might not be the paralytic. He might just be a normal guy. I mean, this is... This is a a bolt from the blue. This is unexpected that he would ever even have a chance, the slimmest of hopes, that he could use his legs and walk somewhere. These people are desperate to see Jesus. This man is desperate to see Jesus. So yeah, we're going to punch a hole in the roof if that's what it takes. You have got to see this man. Uh, Jesus, you have to see my friend. You have to see me. There's nobody else. There's nobody else. There is no hope other than you. And so, yeah, we're going to interrupt the teaching. We're going to interrupt. We're going to make this public spectacle because the bottom line is if you heal this man, we don't care. We'll pay for the roof. We'll apologize for the disruption. And we will literally dance on our merry way and not care one little bit. And they come to the roof and Jesus looks at this man. He doesn't treat him like furniture. He looks straight at him and he says the wrong thing. This is not what this man came to hear. I mean, it is possible this man is desperately struggling with an issue of sin. That's possible. What's most likely is he and his friends are desperate For Jesus to pick him up off that mat. And Jesus looks at him and says probably one of the most disappointing things of his life. He doesn't say, get up and walk. He says, sons, your sins are forgiven. And this is so often how God deals with us. Is it not? I mean, if you read the Gospels, this is a pattern of behavior for Jesus. Jesus is maybe one of the most frustrating literary figures ever. People come to him all the time with requests, with agendas, with questions, and Jesus will just, he's doing his own thing on his own time, and his own way. So this is, this is not really strange behavior. This is just Jesus' behavior. And, and you and I probably experience this too. That we have a sense in which we expect we need God to move. We need God to act. I mean, I know that I've prayed for lots of people to be healed. It's, you know, part of my job. I pray for people regularly. And I've seen God miraculously heal people. I have. I've experienced it. But a lot of times, it seems like a no. God may be saying something, but it's not the thing that I thought we were praying for. And it's, it's so disorienting. It's profoundly disappointing at times. And what you need to see is This is not a mistake. 
It's not an accident. It's not your experience with God. When you are experiencing, I want God to be this way, and God is not that way. He is doing something else, even something that you cannot understand. This is not a mistake confined to you. It's not even necessarily because of you being a certain way. This is, in fact, a truth about who Jesus is and how he deals with people. Is You are often left confused as to what God is doing in the world. Jesus does it like this on purpose. And that he actually, he actually wants this thing that he's doing to be the, the headlining thing. He, he actually wants this thing that he's doing that the paralytic man did not ask for and was probably disappointed by. He's saying this is actually the most important thing that he needs to know. And we know that. Because the text tells us. The, the scribes, some religious leaders, very learned scholars, they hear Jesus say this thing, Son, your sins are forgiven, and they are mad. Because you can't do this. Nobody can do this. You, you can forgive somebody who sins against you. You have the right to do that. You can't go to somebody else and say, Hey, I saw the way you sinned against them. I forgive you. If you came up to me and said, I heard the way that you spoke to your wife, and I just want you to know, I forgive you. I would look at you and say, dude, get on my face. Like, who are you? I'm about to sin further. Because you have no right. I didn't say anything to you. I didn't sin against you. You have no right to come to me and tell me, I forgive you. And, and they're saying, there is only one person who gets to do this, Jesus, and it's God. Because God is the only person against whom ultimately all sin is committed. So you are putting yourself in the position of God. And if you are doing that, you're blaspheming. Because only God can do that. And they're, they're either right or they're wrong. What I mean is, Jesus is either a liar or a crazy person that you should absolutely never listen to because he's pretending to be God. Or he is not a blasphemer. And he actually is God who actually has the authority to do this. And this is sort of what's at the question of this story in, in the stories that we'll see next week is Jesus' authority to do things like this. And Jesus is going to show them that he has both authority and power. And Jesus is saying, and Mark is wanting you to see what they're not seeing, that this person, this one actually does have both authority and power to do exactly what he is saying to do. He's not, in fact, a blasphemer. This is a misdiagnosis because the shocking thing is Jesus actually is God. And this is the thing, people who are like, I like Jesus. He's cool. He's a good teacher or whatever. That story is great if you ignore everything that's written about Jesus. Because the Gospels are going to keep showing you these stories that, that Jesus has to be either God or 
that's pretty much your option. This is all that you're left with. Jesus is too uncomfortable, too demanding of a person to be anything other than what he intentionally seems to be claiming to be, which is the incarnate God who can say things like, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus hears their objections and he says to them, what do you think is more difficult? To say to this man, son, your sins are forgiven, or son, pick up your mat and walk. And see, we hear that question and we get it wrong. By instinct, we get it wrong, especially, I think, probably church people who listen to the language of forgiveness all the time. It just becomes boring to you and to me. But this is the speed bump in the text. Because the answer that Jesus is silently giving them is the easier thing to do is to pick up the mat and walk. That is actually easier. Not just to say the words my daughter after the last service said to me. I don't understand. Neither of those words seem very hard to say. And I was like, sorry, let me make this clear. It's not that the words are easy to say. Jesus is saying it is actually easier to command this paralytic to stand up and walk and have it happen than it is to say to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And he, he's saying, I want you to see the second thing. I want you to see that I have the authority and the power, I have the right to say the second thing, which is more difficult. The more difficult thing is for you to be released from the burden of your sins. But he says, so that you will see that, so that you will understand that, I will do this. And it is really important to hear Jesus say that, to pay attention to what he is saying so that you don't walk away from Mark 2, 1 through 12, and you're like, man, Jesus is so powerful. He told that paralytic dude to stand up and walk. That's great. You're close, but that is not the point of the story. The point of the story is the first thing that he does, which is tell the man, you are forgiven of your sins. But to prove to them and to prove to you that he is not just some guy, that he is indeed powerful and authoritative. He looks at the man and says, pick up your mat and walk. And see, we are presented the same question by the text. What do you think is the more powerful thing? To be forgiven of your sins or to receive that miracle that you are desperate for. Because here's the thing. If you are like me, your prayer life is oriented around the second rather than the first. Because there are horrible things that happen in the world. Painful, miserable, awful things. People suffering in body and in spirit. People who, who are caring about the wounds of, of loneliness and exclusion, of abuse. People who have done terrible things to you. And it's not your fault that those things have happened. There's no indication that, that Jesus is saying it's because this man is a sinner that he is paralyzed. That's not what he's saying. If that was the case, when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, the dude would have popped up and walked. But that's not what happened. He was still on the mat when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. It's not because of his sin that he is paralyzed. 
But Jesus is saying the thing that is inside of you is more important, more pressing, more needful than the thing that has happened to you. And you and I have that so frequently reversed. We say to ourselves, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, sin's bad, everybody sins, everybody makes mistakes. I sin, you sin, God loves us, who forgives us. But what I need is I need some healing. What I need is I need you to fix this thing because of what that person did to me. What I need is this provision. And you pray and you pray and you pray. We ask, we cry, we weep, we, we present these things to God again and again like you should, like Jesus tells you to, like he invites you to, like he wants you to. And then God doesn't do those things. And it feels like, why is God doing nothing in the world? Why is not God not doing this thing? Why is he not picking me up off the mat like I need And it's just a mystery. I don't know why the horrible things are happening to you. I don't know why the suffering happens to you. I know that when we see Jesus with resurrected eyes and the kingdom has come fully in power, I absolutely 100% believe that there are no paralytics. There is no more suffering. There is no more dying and death. There's none of all of those things. I know that when Jesus' kingdom comes in power, those prayers will absolutely, fully, and finally be answered as you're longing for and better. And why that doesn't come now, I do not know. But what I also know, what this story teaches, is Jesus is not ignorant of your suffering. Jesus sees you better than you see yourself and is busy dealing with the most important things of your life that you may not even have the good sense to realize are in need. Jesus answers the prayer you should have prayed before he answers the prayer you did pray. And in the context of all that kind of suffering and unknowing, God is working to do this thing. Of all of the good miracles that you may ask of God, this is the thing that he wants to do first and last. To look at you and to say, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. This is the most profound miracle that you need. And I don't mean just you specifically because you're so terrible. I mean I mean me. I mean us collectively together. This is the, the overwhelming enemy that is pressing in against me. This is the, the actual overwhelming suffering of this world is tied deeply to sin. You were made for God. You were made for him. Everything about who you are, with the many gifts, with the many abilities, with the many desires, wonderful, good things, the things that you may feel are being impinged upon and crushed, those are all accessories. The middle, the central pillar of who you are is fundamentally about Him. 
You were made for him. You cannot understand who you really are without being right with him. And that doesn't mean all these other things that you care about don't matter or they're evil. They do matter, but this thing matters most. And when you are wounded and afflicted and bound and oppressed and giving yourself over to sin, that is the central paralyzing problem of your life. And Jesus is asking you this same question. What do you think is the most important thing that I could do for you? What do you think is the most powerful miracle I could do for you. And if you do not understand that this is the answer, then you are missing, reprioritizing and overlooking a significant part of what Jesus wants to do for you. And you will probably be left, if you endure in a life of faithfulness before God, with a lifetime of questioning, why is God being silent and angry towards you? He's not. He sees you and he loves you. And he would come to you to say this thing most significantly of all, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. Forgiven. Not like, not the way that so often my forgiveness looks like. Jesus is saying, I forgive you. I release you from the power of sin. The the rightful penalty of your sin, I relieve it. The debt that you owe, I have paid it. He he does not forgive you the way that I so often forgive people. He's not going to say, I forgive you, and then say, but I'm keeping score. And so that when you do it to me again, I'm going to pull out that scorecard and tell you the score all over again. He's not going to say to you, I forgive you, when you can really feel bad enough. I'm going to put you in time out. Once I see enough of your own suffering and misery, then I will forgive you. That is not how Jesus treats you. He, when he says, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven, he means in that moment that he has the power and the authority to completely and utterly release you from all of the weight of all of your sin like that immediately. And his heart to you is so good that he will extend that kind of forgiveness to you right now. And that is miraculous, that the judge of all of your sin will climb down off of his judging stool and sit next to you and embrace you and say, though I ought to sentence you, I forgive you and you are free. That is the central miracle of the gospel. And there is only one person that has the power and the authority to do that. It is this one. It is the Son of Man who is the Son of God. And today he is before you to tell you that very thing. That if you are here today and you have lived your life and your eyes have been on a million other things other than this central relationship, Jesus is showing you that he is still this person. 
that he will come to you now and forgive you even for that. And if you are saying, I hear the forgiveness thing, I am overwhelmed by the sorrow of my suffering, and I still do not know where God is. You are praying the prayers of the people of God. I'm telling you, you are not alone. The confusion, the sorrow, and the suffering of that, of not seeing God expect how you act, is a mark of following Jesus. Open the Psalms. On any given page, you are likely to find a Psalm that says, Where are you, God? Why are you not doing this thing that you are doing? Why have you not acted as you? Why do the wicked triumph? Why am I forgotten? Why do the nations mock your name? There are psalm after psalm after psalm, and if your voice is one of those voices, you are not alone. You are one of us. This is the club. And it is to those people who ask those questions that feel borderline damnable. Like you could go way down to the bad place for saying that thing. Jesus puts his arms around people like that and says this thing. Son or daughter, I forgive you. All of your mistrust, all of your pain, all your questions that I will not answer right now, this is the biggest gift I can give you. I forgive you. And you're mine. If you are here today and you have lived a life focused on all of these external things, focused on whatever it is, security, power, prestige, comfort from the approval of others, maybe victory over your enemies, I don't know what it is. Jesus is busting through your roof today. You, you thought you wanted all of this from life. And he is coming here today to give you this kind of life. Where you would be reconciled with him, released from the bondage of sin and death. And he would encircle you with his love, presenting himself as the most trustworthy person you will ever see, who can handle the moments of your disappointment, even as he delivers these words to you. This is the goodness of Jesus. Even when we look over this very good gift that he gives, he is still going to say to you, I forgive you. I forgive you. Today, if you hear that and you recognize that you have lived your life a different sort of way, under your own direction, under your own power, I say to you what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do, do not hear the words of Jesus stand in authority over them and say, no, actually, the needful thing is what I have told you. 
Instead, receive the gift that he's come to give you. Be healed and reconciled, forgiven and set free. This is what Jesus does as the powerful, authoritative son of man that is son of God. And it is what he will do for you. If you will but ask him to do this thing for you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness. God, we, we don't even know truthfully what kindness ought to look like. We've legislated a case against you very often, telling you why you are not as good as you ought to be. We have been arrogant and foolish. And God, we are sorry. And God, we, we thank you for your patience with us. We are people who, who have had terrible things happen of all different kinds and stripes. So many different sufferings And our eyes have, have been fixed on those and we, we have decided that this thing that you would do can't be as important or as good as that thing. And, and God, I pray that you would forgive us of that and also that you would help us. Help us to see and to, to understand. And if, and if there's a degree of understanding that we just can't have right now, then God, I pray that you would help us to trust because that, that in and of itself seems like an impossible task at times. And Father, I pray for people who are here today whose, whose ways have been set and determined by, by their own minds and intentions who have dictated to you time and again and have in fact lived a life away from you and apart from you who have never submitted to the kind of miracle working that you have said is the most important thing. And God, I, I pray that today they would hear your voice and that they would turn around, that they would, they would open themselves to you and they would say, do with me what you will. And they would find that you are trustworthy and good. God, I pray that you would come for the forgiveness of their sins and that they would be set free. We thank you for your patience and kindness towards us all no matter how far away we feel or how close. You have been patient and kind and good towards us, and we thank you, God. I pray, God, that we might turn and respond to you as you deserve. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no one like you, Lord Jesus. The God we can imagine is nowhere near as good as you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.